your big city public safety workers experience an awful lot fire to the car wreck the shootings to the rescues the repetition of that just beats in your mind like a drum i've been doing this for 40 years now and the ones that were really horrible always stay it's just not normal stuff mentally physically guys are burning out Have you ever in your career attended the funeral of a firefighter who's committed suicide? Yes. He was suffering, and we knew the incident. And we and the fire service have gone to funerals over the years many, many times that we knew the person had taken their own lives, and it wasn't spoken about. Your body's breaking down. I think those dark voices take over. Their hard drive's full. If you listen to what the firefighters are saying, get us help. For me, I know that I'm a different person once I've written. It's wind therapy. It's help. Bikers are bad. That stigma's still here. We need each other. We can survive with each other. They take us away from each other, you know, someone's not gonna survive. When they see us coming up the street, some bad guys get out their way. And firefighters, nothing else. And the motorcycle is my medicine. Hey everybody, it's Rob, National Fire Radio. Welcome to our live stream tonight. Very honored here. We are with the cast and crew of Florian's Night. Joining me is the beautiful Melissa Lawler, our field correspondent. Melissa, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. So really quickly, we're gonna do some introductions so everybody that's watching out here can uh, kind of see who we're uh, dealing with. So we have Pan, who is the director of this fine uh, documentary. We're joined with Captain Jack Cooper from Toronto. We got Smitty or Kirk Smith, retired FDNY, Tiny, one of the senior lieutenants from what I understand out in Detroit. And then we got Rod, the OG McDonald. Guys, thank you for being here tonight. This is this is an honor and, and it truly is. Out of all the things that we've done with National Fire Radio, this is by far one of the coolest things yet. Thank you. Thank you, thank you guys for bringing all of us on today. Thank you. So I, I kind of want to start off with, uh, with, with Pan. Pan, you're a documentary filmmaker. Where did this idea come from? Well, I think, you know, the, the Florian's Knights Motorcycle Club was, uh, you know, founded just 10 minutes from my house in East Vancouver. And, uh, and so our executive producer, Sean Galveo and Crowbar Pictures, which is a local production company in Vancouver, uh, approached me one day and said, there's this bike club and these guys ride as a coping strategy for PTSD. And it's also this incredible club um, that promotes peer support amongst active and retired members of, of, of these fire departments. And I said to him, you know, it's kind of an interesting story because I said, you know, and he goes, we have to start shooting in two weeks. They're about to open up a new chapter in New York City. And I said, Sean, like, man, you know, how do I just green light an entire production in two weeks? I haven't talked to 
you know, one other crew member. I don't have a cinematographer. We, you know, we're, we're we, money. What are we going to do here? And so I leave the meeting and I kind of was like, I got to think about it, man. But at the time it was a no, I wasn't going to do the movie. And I get into traffic just about a block from where Sean and I met and Rod pulls up in front of me wearing a Florian's Knights patch on his motorcycle. And he and I are bumper to bumper in traffic for about 35 minutes. And so I had about 35 minutes to stare at this guy's patch. And I thought, man, this is so serendipitous. I thought, you know what, maybe I can pull this together in two weeks. And, and that event convinced me to, uh, to give it a shot. And three and a half years later, we're here with a movie. That's, that's awesome. So who, who, who started this, this club up, but Rod, is this, is this your story as far as like how this came together? Uh, well, I came in after the original group formed the club and, uh, this fellow named Nick Elms, who you see in the movie and he, uh, brought in, uh, some firefighters from Burnaby and North Van and New West. And uh, I was at a uh, local Harley shop. Uh, they were having a show and shine or something like that. And the guys recognized me because I was president of the union for so many years. And uh, we they walked up and said, "Hey, Roddy, how you doing, man?" And I said, "Hey, what's with all what's with all the cuts, and batches?" And they told me about the club. And they said, "Why don't you come out and see it?" So uh, at that time, it was in a garage. That was the clubhouse. <laughs> I went out there and I. Uh, you see it in the movie, what the club meant to me. It became very important to me. Mm -hmm. 100%. And I mean, the, the, the crutch that I want to focus on is that for all of you that are here, we have this issue in the fire service with post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, depression, mental health, uh, just, I don't want to say it's a smorgasbord of mental health stuff. And we have, unfortunately, some of our members are, are, are even resorting to taking their own lives. And you guys are all setting out you know, to find this wind therapy to really kind of deal with some of these issues. And I think like, as far as the film went, Rod, you're between you and Jack, when I first started watching this, you guys set the tone so well for this that it just blew me out of the water. When you had the map and you were going through your calls and the things that you've experienced, you know, in, in your career and drawing those lines, that was such a powerful, a powerful moment for all of us. Did you, did you realize in that moment what that was going to be like? Well, uh, the entire production was not scripted. It's all mm -hmm. spontaneous. And uh, the, every firefighter, battalion chief on down, uh, everyone in the service has a map. They've all got a map. And uh, we all don't handle it the same. And it's the ones that uh, are struggling, and some of them we can't save because they've uh, they've lost their lives to the depression. And that's that's what this this uh, documentary was really all about. It was about um, trying to stop the carnage from the, the brothers and the sisters we uh, we all love. Uh, I want to just say one more thing. Mm -hmm. This documentary applies to everyone in society. If you've mm -hmm. got these kinds of incidents, uh, it, it's, it gives an avenue for help. There's help up there. So uh, it's for everyone. Now, Jack, I want to come to you for a second. Jack Cooper, you're, you're 
a captain in, in Toronto. Um, you were telling us in the pre-show as we were getting ready that they're, you know, you're, you're almost there. They're going to have to carry you out of the firehouse. But in, in your, in, when you started going through, uh, I'll say your, I want to call it, I don't know, and panel correct me if I get this wrong, I could put an opening monologue. I was like, all right, let's see what this is about. And I felt myself having the emotions of anger, <laughs> sadness, and frustration because, like, I, I thought of the multiple single patient that I could have in a shift who is overdosing on opioids or just some of the, the run-of-the-mill calls that we run every day at work, mm-hmm. and it's just kind of slowly grading on, on yeah. us. And, yeah, that's, I mean, that's the difference. There are, there are people out there that uh, experience a problem. One call can make the difference. I mean, uh, the example that I can use all day long is Tiny sitting here with us today, and d- our brothers and sisters in Detroit face fires all day, every day. And I work in the city of Toronto, and instead of fires every, all day, every day, I have maybe one or two fires, and I have you know, seven and ten overdoses where people are dead and gone. And we, yeah, so it, it doesn't really matter what the nature of the call is. It, it seems to affect us all the same way regardless of what it is and over a, over a period a long period of time if it doesn't get you in the short term it's going to start affecting you in the long term and i mean we've we all don't know each other we're from different parts of, the, of two different countries and and our experiences have been the same what i do know about it is that if you talk to all these people out here you'll find out that they feel better after they ride the bike they feel yeah. better you know and and, and it, the Thank God for the film came along and Dr. Vaughn and, and the science proved that all of us all were out there riding, we're feeling better. And it maybe the, the cup was less full after that experience. So, you know what, it, it was a really good thing. Now, tiny um, Detroit, right? Everybody knows Detroit and I, and, and Mike, uh, you know, isn't here. Yeah, hopefully he jumps in here. But like the one thing that I think everyone forgets about Detroit is that, on top of the heavy fire load that you see, you're still a regular fire department. There's still all those other calls. There's the car accidents. There's there's an EMS aspect of the job. Uh, Melissa and I were kind of talking about this earlier, and I remember listening in on a devil's night where engine, I think it was engine 50, came across somebody who had been assaulted, and they put him in the engine and took him with them to the to the fire because that was the safest option for the citizen. And I said to myself, I'm like, that's that's absolutely insane. I just, I heard this radio transmission live and I feel mm-hmm. like this is where somebody says, this is Detroit. Welcome, welcome to yeah. Detroit fire. <laughs> but like you have the stress of these fires and then you have just everything else. Can you kind of touch on, touch on that aspect of it coming from like one of the senior lieutenants in Detroit? Right. So I, I hate to use a cliche from uh, Heartbreak Ridge when Clint Eastwood say you learn to adapt and overcome. Right. But right. Essentially that's what happens. Right. It's, it's, adapt and overcome and so back in 2014 i believe uh after the city went through this bankruptcy uh we started doing the medical cause right so now we see those on top of the fire load each company now is responding to six or seven mm-hmm. medical runs be it uh an overdose cardiac arrest or whatever on top of the car accidents and everything so right so we are now in the game that everybody else is in we get to see those calls um so we have to learn how to transition from just strictly fighting fires into the medical world and we've done that quite well over the past five or six years um but one of the things i did want to share was that 
um, we had several members just recently commit suicide. So mm -hmm. listening to Jack and, 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 and all the things that he, you know, you, you hear him talk about in the movie. Um, it's, it's unparalleled as to what he's saying, two different countries across those two continents. We all deal with the same things day in and day out. And the movie, <laughs> and I remember when Pan came to Detroit uh, with the concept in the movie, um, I thought it was just a wonderful idea to get everybody involved and we just see how everybody you know acts across the country and then once i saw the, fi the final product and i get to see jack and kurt and, and rod uh by the way i love the line you know that's his medicine right yeah mm -hmm. it was that was the culmination of like relief like i'm not alone like there's everybody else is doing the exact same thing and so all that's across the country you're all doing absolutely. the same thing absolutely yes 100%. Now, now, Smitty, you you come out in this movie from from New York City, and you guys are looking for a home. And I I, I got to try to paraphrase this the right way because I can't. I, some you know, one I don't want Conroy to be upset there, but like you you guys were looking for something in this, and and, and a lot of times what he explained as far as the Axemen went was when when he was looking for the Brotherhood, the Brotherhood came out through this organization and through this club and it filled a void that was drastically needed in his life. Like how did the, how did Florian's night come out for you guys who were just trying to, you know, I don't want to say like find your path, but find, find the path to walk or we'll really ride. Most of us were already riding and we were with another fire department club mm -hmm. and we were a lot younger guys. And we started talking amongst ourselves saying, Hey, listen, we could do our own thing here a little bit, and we did it the right way. We waited another year, talked about it again, and then we got together with five guys and said, okay, it's time to make our move. And we looked around. We went over names. We looked at other clubs, and our president, Matt, found Florian Knights in Canada, and we spoke to them, and here we are today. There's some bumps in the road, but now it's all smoothed out, and this is the final product right here. And we're all making friends. We're all doing the right thing for the right cause. And, um, you know, they yeah. don't. I don't know if it's all smoothed out. <laughs> <laughs> we're still here in Vancouver. <laughs> well, you can hold the fort down. You're doing all right. We're trying. <laughs> and what? what? Just a, one of the things that I thought was really authentic about this uh, was when you know there was that scene where you, Rod, you guys were were sitting around the table and you said, "When I started in the department," and they were like, "Well, was that back in the 1930s? 1930s, right? Yeah, and you started. They immediately started busting your balls, you know. I'm a senior guy here, you know, and uh, that that really to me was like, you know, I was like, this is this is legit. This is the firehouse. Well, we're ten we're ten minutes into this and no one's called me David Letterman yet, so that's a big. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh, I see it now. <laughs> I do see it now. <laughs> well, it, it it is remarkable how you know we come from New York City to Canada, and these guys flew here to New York City, to our firehouses, to the Bronx, to our own homes, hung out with us, never even met us. That says that's large right there. That's that's brotherhood right there. Not even in the states. It's, Different countries, brotherhood sticks together. Doesn't matter where you're from, and it that's proven right there. 
That's something that I also remarked on too while I was watching the video as well, Smitty, because it was just to watch that you had never met before and you're coming in from Canada. And and by the way, I love Canada. Shout out. Can't wait for the border to be fully open so I can go back over. Mm -hmm. Um, And and it's the same. You're having the same the tribe as i was talking to rob about it before it's it's the tribe you you are going from one you know vancouver it's the west coast coming to new york city and it's the same issues that affect firefighters and ems all throughout the north american continent and i think it was a a parallel i kind of drew today when i was you know kind of thinking about how this night was going to go and that like how many of the of the of the people from that were in the film? You know, they were talking about the fact that the events of September 11th mm-hmm. um, really kind of, you know, kind of made them get up into this into this profession. And then here it is: this motorcycle club comes down to, to New York City and kind of gets uh, gets formed there. So it was like full circle; everything came came right around. So. I think Mike's joining us here. Hello, everybody. Yeah, I had a little issue I had to handle. Sorry, I'm late. That's okay. So, for those of you who are uh, just who's joining us right now, it's Mike. Mike. Uh, Mike Nevin. He's the uh, Mike. You're currently a battalion chief, correct? Uh, that's correct. Chief Six, uh, East Side, Detroit. Yes. Welcome. Hey, I appreciate you being here. Hey guys. Nice to meet you, Mike. Nice to meet everybody. Mike, I love I love the shot of your ear, brother. Like as a director, I, I really love that. I love. I, 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 I really. I, I, I'm driving. I had to take my son home. Actually, he. Um, um, I'm trying to hear on the phone here. Um, he's got. Um, it's kind of weird. My son's got Addison's disease, which is they just we just found out about this about a year and a half ago. It's what John F. Kennedy had. Um, it's an autoimmune deficiency. Uh, he's he's a health the kid plays hockey and everything and uh but he's had these issues and um his his medications were off and he went to the hospital tonight and they did some blood work and i just dropped him off and i apologize for being late um you know it's all good mike family comes first and that's a tricky disease to be dealing with so yeah it's always something you know it's always something but um I, i i don't know what the discussion's about but i'd like i i wouldn't mind piping in um <laughs> you know, I, you guys Mike, know Pan, Pan knows me. I, I'm never at a loss for words. <laughs> no, no, that is I, true. I know you. Yeah, I know you well, bro. That's why I'm staring at a picture of your ear right now. I think yeah, sorry. You, 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 you'd come to the table with something unique, bro. I love it. It works well, with the camera as usual. I have. I'm trying to listen for whatever reason that the volume is like. Well, you know, thank God, Mike, your ear is clean. I'm like sitting here going, "Well, I've got, no got a ear. I got a beautiful ear. I mean, both. I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a Q-tip fanatic, so I, you know, it's um, I'm in pretty. Yeah, my ears are in good shape. Yeah. Well, I think the the big thing, guys, I just wanted to touch on is that, you know, when we when we started making the movie and it was, you know, the Florian's Knights having been founded in Vancouver, I really thought it was an isolated event, that there was just this one group of guys who found the bike by chance and formed a club. And this was the first thing of its kind. But that's what, you know, not only blew me away, also tripled the film's budget, is that I realized that we had to travel to all these different cities across North America. 
um, and uh, to kind of really show the trend that exists here. It's an international phenomenon. It's not just North America. There's clubs all around the world of first responders who ride and who depend on wind therapy. So, you know, that was just a really interesting experience for me to be like telling the executive producers, like, I got to go to Toronto now. I got to go to New York City now. I've got it. There's this huge club, the Axemen in Detroit, who are like the originals of this. And I've got to go see what this is all about. And next thing you know, we're tripling the film's budget and it takes, a, you know, three and a half years as opposed to what I thought it would, you know, we'd be kind of a year and a half and we'd be done. But it's just it just goes to show that um, there are hundreds of thousands of people who rely on this for their mental health. Um, and that was really surprising to me. I had no idea it existed before I made the movie. Yeah, 100 uh, percent. So, Mike, we've just kind of been going through with everybody. But like since you since, since you popped in here now, like you played this really unique role in, in the film from my standpoint, because one, I'm former union president myself. So I, you know, haven't I, I can't imagine what your shoes were like walking through. But the fact that you kind of took the action that you took against the city of Detroit on behalf of the firefighters to recognize the issue and, and move that forward was, was kind of, it blew me away. You know, what, what was that like for you? Like how, how did you get to that moment? I think he froze, Mike. Lost him again. Lost him again. Yeah. I, I agree with you, Rob. I mean, when they came to that part of the movie and they had, and he had his, said that pan you gave him a kick in the ass that's what he was saying everybody came in there and they're like i have to do something about this and he pulled out the sheets and it was front and back of every firefighter in detroit and i was like i got goosebumps from that watching that because he was taking and he's like somebody's got to do something i'm losing my firefighters and as he you know you said before earlier you had some firefighters commit suicide this year a few of them so He's he's trying. He's going to make a difference here with this. I hope anyway. Absolutely, Mike. You back? Can you guys hear me? Yeah. 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 But you know, um, I kind of I I lost for, lost for a second, but I did hear the question. Um, you know, Detroit's a unique animal. Um, it, it's it's probably one of the biggest facades going. I mean, they basically throw us out there and we fend for ourselves. Um, we've had quite a few suicides. We've got a lot of self-medicating, uh, but this is a, a situation across the United States that uh, I know that more than likely Canada with budget cuts and the increase of runs, not only with fire and EMS, but with police. And, you know, you're, you're going, you know, Detroit just been, it's off the charts as far as what we do, but it's one run after another. And once they added the medical, uh, component to our, our, our workload, now we're going from an infant choking, or an infant, uh, you know, that's uh, deceased to a fire, to a car wreck, to a fire, to another kid, to a, it just, it's, you're being yo-yoed mentally. And it's every day, every day over and over and over. And De uh, Detroit is unlike any of these other cities with our, with our run load, our run volume, and, and, and as violent as the city of Detroit is. And then the size of our department is so small uh they've, they've cut our department under a thousand men and women and i mean we're just getting crushed here um we've got a current mayor mayor duggan who stood up and said he was going to get us mental health and you know at a funeral for a firefighter that died 
with a heart attack. Uh, Kevin Ramsey, my firehouse, uh, ironically. Um, and uh, nothing's ever come of that. We had the international president, uh, Ed Kelly, come into Detroit and sit down and say, uh, you know, in his Boston accent, that he was going to come in here and help the firefighters. And he hasn't done shit uh, to help anybody in Detroit. We've got no PTSD program. The international's done nothing except blow hot air. He sat next to our mayor and said that they were going to bring in a program here to help our firefighters. They did a, a mass study and nothing came, uh, a mass interview uh, throughout the department. Nothing came of it. The new to this mayor they've allowed that lawsuit just to grow dust and uh, that lawsuit that i filed covered every firefighter uh for any type of um uh, self-medicating or whatnot where you know nobody can come they say well just come forward and self-report who's going to self-report on a fire department or an ems department or a police department and say yeah i'm an alcoholic you're going to be suspended or you're gonna be losing this and a lot of firefighters didn't want to go to the movie theater and watch it because they don't like to beat their own chest but i tell you what they've all seen the movie and they like it uh they're not too happy with the the turncoat firefighter that turned into a police officer um nobody uh, is nobody that, is that, what, what nobody a is. that guy i would like to I, I hope he's listening he's i'd like to meet him someday to tell him to his face he's a turd yeah and, he's and if the Hells Angels want to help us, at least somebody's going to help us. At least somebody took, you know, at least somebody reached out. And and yes, the motorcycle thing is big. And the, the accident in Detroit have been going on for about, eh, they've been about 20 years plus. Um, and it is, it is a wind therapy. And I tell you, most of the members have come to me and asked when the second movie is going to come out that... Uh, gets deeper into the the brain and the way the movie ended was almost like a cliffhanger where they were starting to guys want to know what's wrong with them and they want to know um you know that was really interesting how you ended that movie pan with you know the the brain signals and whatnot and, and getting into the science of the brain and uh that left a lot of our guys wanting more more information. And you'd think that the International Association of Firefighters that collects an exorbitant amount of dues would assist you in your attempt to uh, further this this cause. Has the international even- No, I, I just wanted to say, Rob, Mike's cut out there. Uh, there's three union presidents on the screen right now, you, Rob, uh, Mike, I was union president of Vancouver for 15 years, executive board member for over 20. Battalion chief, 35-year vet, seven as a battalion. And um, the movie, yeah, it's, we saw the scenes, but what Mike's referring to isn't unique to Detroit. You know, we got to get right. real here. Yeah. Uh, it, it took years and years. And what's happened in the fire service is there was a heavy alcohol presence. Heavy, heavy presence. And yes. uh, it, it, it eventually got weeded out, uh, perhaps the wrong term there, but it got- That's the wrong term there. It, it was taken out and stopped and uh, we dealt with it. It was a union management thing, went around all the halls and uh, we had the talk. And uh, what uh, what happened from that is, uh, that, that was the coping mechanisms for many, many men and women. Booze is a coping mechanism for a sign that there's an illness or, or a, a mental issue. 
and uh, it then has gone into other substances and it has culminated many times instead of death by the bottle you get death by the rope or the gun so uh, yeah that's true. kind of that's kind of like the background to how guys have coped going back to the 40s the 30s i mean the war vets came back from world war one a lot of them got onto the department and they were screwed up anyone who knows anything about the trenches those guys couldn't come back normal but they also had that paramilitary thing and they became firefighters same thing in the second world war so they all had their coping mechanisms mostly booze so when mike's referring to the the city um how many times do we butt ahead saying these guys are sick man they need help they don't need suspensions they need some assistance and it's like pulling teeth we've been uh, fairly successful over the few years um in vancouver it's better than what it was but man listening to mike's story i thought he was uh, reading my notes yeah and and i think this is a common thread that we see with all throughout the fire service is that we're asking for help. I know Jeff Dill, um, Firefighter Behavioral Health Alliance, says it's fast saving ways to save others. But um, one one of the things that's that's really coming out in the forefront of all this is that, like, we're asking for the help, we're not getting it. But that kind of leads us into what we've got here. We've got two motorcycle clubs represented in the movie that have really kind of stepped forward to fill a void that was very much needed, you know, between the Florian's uh, Florian's Knights and the Axemen. I mean. Like that that to me is because like when when I, the people who are supposed to to be stepping up to fight for us are not fighting for us or so when we're turning to that city administration and you know as you guys said and i think mike said it in the movie like they want to take the picture with us when it's you know time to run for office and for the photo and then they office. ditch you yeah but then they want to ditch us when when the moment is uh when they actually have to put actions mm -hmm. to matter that's where this brotherhood and that's where like i think with national fire radio mm -hmm. we tell everybody the brotherhood is still alive and well and it's not gone because you guys are all an example of how this brotherhood came together and is, you know, and we said so we call it wind therapy. But for you guys, this is how we're how we're doing it. Mike, I would like to say I'm, I'm sorry that, uh, you know, Detroit has done that to you guys, your, your men and women that are in uniform there. Um, I'd like to talk to you offline because FDNY does have a great counseling service unit. And if you want to talk about that, we can talk about that offline and I can uh, kind of lead you in the right direction. And it can give you some pointers to bring up to the council members. Because uh, a lot of those guys are retired guys. They're doing it on their own time. They're not getting paid. They're volunteers. Yeah. Well, we, and we, we, they're, they're great. They're great guys. They come to the firehouses. They talk to them. They're old timers. They talk to the young guys, the mentors, and it really helps out. So if you like to talk offline about it, we can sure. let you know that um, it's there. Um, you just got to just keep hammering them down on it, you know? Yeah, I just, uh, I think, uh, you know, it's a, it's a money thing. It's, uh, uh, there's, you know, it's Detroit, like I said, is a unique animal. They, uh, they kind of, it's kind of like a Vietnam. I said that we were. Our helmet should be light blue. We're like the UN, you know. We're like the the, the fire. The, the Detroit firefighters are like the guys in those 1960s Vietnam 
uh, clips in the rice paddy saying, hey, mom, I'm okay, you know, thumbs up with the ace of spades in their helmet, and and they're just going for it out here. And, uh, you know, we've got pretty rigs now. We've got some nice equipment, and uh, we're getting better with physical injuries, but it's the mental injuries that mm-hmm. uh, we're starting to take, and the city doesn't want any liability for that because – it's it's expensive to take care of those kind of injuries and to put people off duty and to take care of people the right way. And firefighters got to know when they sign up for this job, especially in the big cities, they're going to chew you up and spit you out, and that's just the way it goes. Some guys can handle it, and girls, some can't. Um, and you're right, we pretty much take care of ourselves in the city of Detroit. We do have retirees that volunteer because we, we want to hear it from our own people that can experience it. It's a unique, it's a unique job. It really is the stuff that we, the stuff we go through. And what a lot of people don't realize is we're the first on the scene that puts this mess together and gets it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, well, I think the one thing that I wanted to bring up is t- tiny. Go ahead, Jack. Okay. No, go ahead, Jack. Or go no, ahead, Coop. nothing uh, really. Rod. I was just going to say, one of the things, you know, instead of, like, we're not beating around the bush here. This is real shit. Yeah. And one of the things, if a guy falls through a floor in a three-story tenement building, for shit's sake, you've got more brass, man, and whatever. Carter has pills kind of shit. And uh, they all go visit him at the fire, at the, the hospital. It's mandated. We got to go see Billy Bob. You know, he fell through a floor. It's, it's doing, he's not doing so good. But when someone books off and it's something to do with stuff they can't see, can't measure, broken legs, a broken leg, but a broken mind well said. historically has been dealt with with, we want proof that you can't come to work. The guy's hanging on by a thread and because of HR policies and civic policies, somehow the firefighter with the mental issue is almost ignored. And, and they've got light duty programs, return to work programs. They've got more programs all designed to get these people back to work. Nobody does any visits. It's a, just that it's seen as a different kind of beast. And it's been a struggle for so many years. And when Mike's speaking, I totally relate to what he's saying. But the gift, the gift is, the gift is now. The gift is where we are right now and why right. we're here and yes. the, why we're all on the same screen at the same time. Right. Because this stuff did not happen before and it was not brought to anybody's attention. Exactly. So we have to move collectively as a group of people. And, mm-hmm. and that's why there's people from all over north america on the goddamn screen right now is because we feel the same way and we've all seen somebody brothers sisters suffer and we need to move forward and we know from what we at least now other people know that we've been watching as people passed for all these horrible reasons and we knew that it was a bad bad thing that was going on and and now there's the science that that proved it Pan brought it to the screen with Sean, and it's out there for everybody else to see. It's now up to us to carry that ball and move it forward so everybody else understands. This is going on today. It's going on tomorrow. It's not going to change the goddamn fire service. It's not. It's still, we put the wet stuff on the red stuff. Y'all go get it. 
Yeah, that's what we do. That's what people that, that we do, that's what we do all the time. So you know what? Bring it to everybody else's attention. Let's move forward. Let's go. I so think you've the, you've got the, the platform here. We've got it. You've got the movie out. Everybody's here talking about it. We're bringing it to the forefront. The science is real. We can prove this. There's so much research right now. It's cutting edge. I've been reading a lot about it in the past two months. And it, it's generations deep. So I think, Rod, one of the things that you brought up in the movie that hit me was when you talked about your grandfather coming back from World War One, And the uh, the he didn't talk about it. And you said, your dad went to work. He didn't talk about it. Not it's already. that generational trauma that's passed down from, from father to son to son to you know daughter. It's just passed down one right after the other. And it lives deep inside us in our family units. And then this, this cycle continues. And then we get into the service of, of the first responders. And we have all these daily micro traumas that occur day after day after day. And what we're doing then is collectively as a unit, as, as a first responder, because you're not able to, to cope, like you said, the coping mechanisms. What you've learned in your family unit is to clamp down and not talk about it. I'm not going to talk about it. There's that shame factor that's there. Shame is huge. And until you start, and now we've got this platform, because until we start bringing the dialogue to this and get rid of the shame and say, I need help, and have somebody else say, I'm here. So I'm going to be there for you. Let's and say, we start talking about it. Yeah. And, and, and for, so like tiny, I'm curious for you because you like, you know, you have Axman Detroit, right? Like you've had the, the members come into the club and you, and even as a, as a line officer, like, what does this look like from your end? Because we talk about mm -hmm. it in the movie, but like, can you give a, a little insight here? Because like, we know, we know when our members are hurting, but I feel Absolutely. like. Right. And so, um, Listen, Kurt uh, Schmitty brought up some points about the older guys coming in and helping. I think one of the one of, one of my main responsibilities. I got two responsibilities, right? I got to make sure my guys get paid. I got to make sure they go home safe, right? Mm -hmm. But also, but also as a supervisor, I have to be able to evaluate my men physically and mentally what they're capable of and what they're not capable of, right? I have to look at his gear and say, "Hey, time to get a new helmet, get some new boots," right? But also, I have to recognize when he having issues, and I have to be there for him, right? And that's one of the things that I wanted to say was, we do need outside help because none of us are professionals, right? Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean I can't sit and talk and listen to a guy problems, right? Yeah, I have to be able to do that, and that's the part of the axe man that I love. Mm -hmm. if I can't if if a guy don't want to talk to me at the firehouse, hey, meet me at the clubhouse. When we get off ship, we can go talk privately down to clubhouse or any place. Right. Right. I have to be able to do that because I have to count on him just like he has to count on me in, in all things when the bell goes off and even when the bell isn't going off. And so although we do need that professional outside uh, intervention, we still have to be able to recognize, not be the person that's saying, hey, this guy's, a, you know, he's soft because he can't handle it because we've all been there. Right. We've all been there where you put the hand through the baby while you're actually crawling looking for the baby, right? You can't deal with that on your own, but you can certainly deal with it with the guys that were there with you. You don't take it home to your wife, your kids, or whatever, but you certainly 
have to be able to talk to these individuals that you work with on a daily basis, in and out, talk about your problems, give examples of shit you went through as a young man on the job, how and what helped you, and now how can you pass on that expertise or what you know to him, right? So we have to be somewhat accountable to ourselves and to each other, not just when the bell goes off. I'm going to count on you, buddy, to get me out of here. We have to count on each other all the time. My guys know they can call me anytime. I don't care if I'm at work, I'm off work. You can come and talk to me anytime. And I put take it upon myself to go to them. Hey, what's going on? You got any problems at home? What's going on? Because we have to also realize there's a lot of people that commit suicide that aren't firefighters, right? That means right. some of the guys who have issues, they may or may not necessarily be from the job. They could have issues off the job, mm-hmm. right? That's contributes to them wanting to you know, off themselves, whatever. But being a true friend, a true leader, a true work buddy, you have to be able to have those conversations. Not just once, not just twice, because you can clearly see something's wrong with a guy. And he'll be like, no, I'm good. I'm good. Okay. I'm going to let it slide right now. But later on this evening, I'm going to say something again. The next work day, I'm going to say something again. So I'm not going to leave you alone. If I can clearly see something wrong with you, I'm going to keep harping on it myself. Then Keep I'm gonna circling make, back, right? Right. And then I'm going to make yeah. those phone calls to who I need to make those phone calls to to try to get some type of intervention. I'm not going to say I'm always mm-hmm. right because I'm certainly not a professional. But I have to hold myself to some accountability to the guys that I work with and not just to give up on them. I, I think, Tiny, it goes back to the idea of, like, if we show up to a vacant and people are like, hey, there's nobody in there, like, I don't take the citizen's word for that. Like if the, if the space is tenable and I can make entry in there, I go and search that house and I make sure that there's nobody in there. So when we have somebody that we're asking, Hey, are you okay? And they're saying, yeah, I'm okay. But we know that they're not like, we have to have that card conversation. We have to ask those tough questions, especially those of us who are in those leadership positions, because that's, that is why we got promoted or that is why we are a leader is we are going to ask those questions. We can't just sit back and be like, no, no, he, he looks, he looks fucking miserable. And I've never seen him so sad in his life. But he told me he was okay, so he's fine. So right. it's got to be all right. Jack, right. I mean, you've you've been on for a, a year and a day. Like you've, what, like how do you how do you like what, the tiniest uh, response there? Like what, what's your what's your take on this? Like, I mean, I, I would assume you're going to agree with them, but like, well, yeah, dude, more than more than just that. It's just it's it's the same thing. If, if you want to wear that hat and you, you're going to be that guy, it's part of being, it's an integral part of being a, of a good group. It's just to be able to talk to each other and understand that the other person may have something else going on that's, that's not making them feel well. Um, and, and if it, you we're never going to be trained enough, we're not going to be trained enough to take care of the mental health issues that we see inside our own fire departments. But the reality is, if we talk to people and we all start talking to each other, maybe that helps a little bit. Maybe it helps it point them in the right direction. You know, I, I lost a guy six years ago to uh, he was a bipolar guy and and somebody my superiors came and asked me to to do do them a favor and take care of the guy and i said sure because i knew a lot about drug addiction and about alcoholism because that was personal stuff for me i got a hold of him he was on my crew and he was bipolar and then you know what i didn't know what to do and i didn't know how to deal with it and, and yeah, I reached out to other people and made sure that uh, did everything that I could possibly do. We still couldn't save the guy, but we knew he was sick. 
And, and you know what? We see all of us, every single person you see in the film, everybody that you see in the fire service sits with this stuff every day. And we know that somebody is sick. And, every, you know, and when we try to do the right thing, we try to, but it's we got to bring it to the forefront so that the people with the better training and the, the ability to help the people have the opportunity to do so, so that we don't get left with it. Because we'll do the best we can all the time. What do we all say all the time? Give us tools, get the fuck out of our way because we'll do the job. That's not something we can do properly because we don't have the right tools. So I like this to bounce off of that as well. All you guys are officers. I didn't, I retired before that. I, I didn't take a lieutenant's test. I was a senior guy. Um, I did 20 years in the Army infantry too. So my leadership skills came from the military transferring over to my fire department um, career. And I deployed twice while I was still on New York City Fire Department to Iraq and Afghanistan. Thanks for your service. Thank you, Smitty. And I applied those skills when I went to the firehouse and I became senior man because it happened real quick. A lot of guys left and then next day you're moving up through the ladder there and then you're the senior man in the firehouse. Everybody comes to you, everybody looks up to you and then you got to know everybody's life and problems just like I was doing in the military. Yeah. And it came easy for me. A lot of guys didn't like it, but that's your role, even though you're not getting paid a lieutenant or a captain. Still your role to train the guys and to know what's going on in their lives. Some guys look up to you still. You know, I get calls from the guys, hey, how you doing? I call the firehouse still. You know, I buff a little bit here and there. You know, you want to know what's going on in your old area. I'm not going to lie. I do buff out a little bit. But it's good because then when you call there, it makes them feel good too that, hey, you know, he didn't just work here and leave and not still check on us. And those guys need to know, your senior men need to know, they need to, if you're not around, they need to take up the slack and go talk to their men too, that they're with on the on the truck or the engine or the ambulance for EMS guys. There. They need to know everybody what's going on. Because before I was New York City farming, I was a Fort Bragg firefighter, Department of Defense, for two and a half years. Mm-hmm. And since I've been on the job up here, I'd say four, to f- four or five guys committed suicide that I know from that department. Out of the blue, you wouldn't even think of why they did it. Out of the blue. Like, you wouldn't even know they had problems. And it hits you like that. And in the military, I, I got hands full of guys, too. Yeah, and numbers is retarded. Yeah. Thanks for your service, mate. Like I was 95 Bravo, bro. Nice, nice. 11 Bravo. My man. So, yes, absolutely. So, <laughs> uh, and, and that's a valid point, right? I was a junior NCO, brought those leadership skills over. Um, and I think that helped me in, in, in how to progress as it related to the fire department, right? And those are the ones you can't save. I had a guy who um, was never late to work, never missed a day's work. In like 11 years and that morning when he didn't show up i immediately called a commissioner because i say something is wrong we went down to his house and we found him in his in his dining room uh he had ate a bullet right so those are the ones you can't catch because they come to work and everything is okay it's the outside the work issues that's causing the problem right mm-hmm. but for the ones that are affected by the job we need to pay just a little bit more attention to what we're doing every day. Don't go in our office. Don't be away from the men. Get to know everybody, right? And and try to help that way. 
And I'm, I'm going to say this one too, the, the cry wolf guys. Um, I dealt with one of those um, individuals as a friend too. He was a cry wolf. If you understand what I'm trying to say on that one. Absolutely. Um, you definitely have to watch those guys because you might think they're BSing and then the next minute they're not going to, and it's their way of trying to reach out to you in their own little weird way. Right. But you have to treat everybody the same, like, all right, because this is life or death. Right. Well, there, there's no procedure for this. There's no one in the There's no. There's no. But, but, I wanna... sorry, Tiny. No, no, that's all right. I just wanted to say in that situation right. with Smitty, being a senior guy, yeah. he's, he's spending more time with the guys than the officer is. Right. So he's closer to it. Well, he, he brings up the point of like this, you know, because this is the fire service across the country is we are seeing the senior man come on at a lot younger age than like Rod started tiny. When you started Jack, when you guys started, like there was a senior guy in that fire station and he had been around for a while. Now, like on my job, I think my senior, my senior guy in my group six years on and he's a senior man because we we've experienced that much turnover and we had that many guys go. So now like, you know, like Smitty, you had the life experience of being mm-hmm. in the military, having that NCO experience. And then like, you come in and you get a couple of years on the department. And then all of a sudden people, they left, you know, they retired. People with 30 years on left. And and, and how, now, how old were you? When you old, 18 years, guys. And then the 15 year guys got it. And then all of a sudden, boom. Right you see, Van, Vancouver, uh, for many years, and we're proud of it, actually. Uh, we're promoted by seniority. Uh, there's exams, but most of the guys work their butt off, and they <clears throat> they all pass pretty well. So we have a very senior-oriented department. <clears throat> and by the time a guy gets to be an officer, there's something that you know you 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 don't you, you don't demand respect; you earn it. But most of the guys who put their time in, man, <clears throat> they've earned their stripes. And uh, I would say the overwhelming majority have the respect of the crews they command. So <clears throat> what's happened in Vancouver, which is what Jack was referring to moving forward, is there's a, there are now awareness programs for all the, all the players, but it's heavily oriented at times towards the officers. And uh, one of the lines that comes out of it, if one of your guys doesn't seem quite right, it usually means... He's not quite right. <laughs> and a guy like it sounds so simplistic. But uh, Tiny referred to that unfortunate soul. He didn't show up for work after 11 years. Something wasn't right. We didn't get a chance to help that guy that time. But moving forward, and that's the beauty of this movie. This movie is incredible. I really, truly believe that. I don't know a guy named Oster. I think this movie should be an Oscar-winning a movie for the documentary in in uh, down Amen. in L.A. This Amen, is a Rob. great documentary, and it's going to help so many people, not just firefighters, more vets. They're out there in the community now, yeah. and if their families yeah. have an idea of PTSD or PTSI, and they see this movie, and they go, hey, this sec, that's my son Bobby. He's having that stuff. And they go and try and get some help. This movie is gold. This movie is gold. That's the end of my commercial. I'll be here on that one hundred percent. Here, here, yeah. 
Jack, I think I think the the, oh, the one thing ahead, is um like people people ask me now you know with the film out and uh, it, they go is this the answer to our problem right um, and that's always kind of an un uncomfortable question for me because uh, I don't think anybody here on the call and correct me if I'm wrong but I and I think we even talked about this before tiny like it's like it just kind of feels like the motorcycle club and the bike and wind therapy being a coping mechanism is filling the gap. But I just want to know for everybody here, like when people ask me, you know, Penn is what you're telling, are you telling me that wind therapy is the answer to the issue of post-traumatic stress injuries in the fire service? Like what is, what is the response to that? You know what I mean? Like, is it just one path forward? Um, and, and kind of, how, how do you guys address that if people were to ask you? Because I've been asked countless times, you know, if I hold the, the magic key here with this movie, you know? It's, it's, it's one path, right? It's the path mm -hmm. I chose, um, and it's, as well as these guys in, this, in, in, in the movie. They all chose this one particular path, and this path is a coping, coping mechanism for them. But through that path, we've done so much. Being a 501c3, every dollar we take in, we give out. That's another path that went through the wind therapy path, right? So there's a lots of paths that we can take. There's lots of paths that are therapeutic and help. But for us, this is the path for us. So, But it's not the end all be all. There's other things. Some guys love fishing, whatever you name it, right? So, but for us, this helps us cope. And it allows us to help other people that are dealing with everything else. Because us being a 501c3, we every dollar we take in, we give out to firefighters, police officers, EMS families that are in need. We have a program called uh, No Child Sleeps Alone for Christmas. We go to all the area hospitals during the Christmas season, like right now, and we deliver teddy bears to all the children in the hospital wards. Uh, we have a um, muscular dystrophy ride every year that we contribute to. Uh, we have our annual Hotter Than Hell ride which all the proceeds go to the burn camp to uh, help the uh, children that's been burning fires. All those things help us keep doing what we're doing. All the help that we give help us keep doing what we're doing. That's how we benefit from it. So it's not just us riding. It's through riding, we're able to help so many other people, but that keeps us going. But it's just one path. But people can choose whatever path they may, you know, which they like. And, and there are plenty of fraternal organizations within the fire service. I know in the Hudson Valley, we have Hudson Valley guns and hoses. It's police and firefighters. Like there's, you know, they're, they're getting together to do fundraisers as a, as a 501 C three to raise money. And there's a, there's a, a brotherhood and a sisterhood that's coming out of that organization to, to do something for the greater good. But there's other things that are happening behind the scenes that we'll never see. And I encourage everybody, whether it's your, you know, on a motorcycle and you're, and you're joining a club to, doing something like guns and hoses, or even as Rod was talking about in the movie, like he's a painter, you know, like these are things that we can all bring to the table that give us like my outlets to piano. I play horrible piano. I live stream it on Instagram and Facebook sometimes. And I'm surprised Zuckerberg hasn't shut down my account for it yet, but it's an Give me a link next time. You know, one part, of, one, part of this, one part of the doc, and the doc is a, a huge about mental health and firefighters. Yep. But the part of the movie, and I, I think a lot of people are kind of wondering what the 
what the hell went down here? <laughs> 35 years on the job, part of running like the, the burn camp that we run every year, we have, we have a standalone five-story building in the middle of Vancouver where parents of burnt survivors, children, they can stay there, much like the McDonald's uh, program that Smitty's involved with or was involved with. I think he still is. We, we got all the, all the stuff that Tiny referred to. We have meals for the kids that don't have any breakfast. It's meals in the schools. We got, we got the pink uh, ribbon campaign for cancer. Our, our local, our union, has, and I say this without any hesitation, we have an incredible amount of philanthropy that flows out of our organization. All of the men in the movie who were Florian's Knights, every single one of them were good human beings, are good human beings, outstanding firefighters, impeccable service records, and with that one picture, kaboom. And when I said to Smitty, well, maybe it's not over, I used to wear that cut. I used to wear that cut, Smitty. And one day after the picture, gone. And a lot of people, I think, are confused about what the hell went yeah, that, that's a That's a Canadian thing, Rob. Canadian thing. That's yeah. all it is. Well, I think that's that's the big, you know, why I asked that question about like, you know, the bike being the answer is because I've had audiences from around the world, you know, ask me, you know, why, why go through it? Why, you know, there are hurdles that come with a motorcycle and being in a club. There are inherent hurdles that exist. And so I just, you know, we, we, we made the movie to to speak truth to power as to what it is to be in a club and what it is to ride. But I mean, why do you guys, and I'm just personally curious, because remember, I got the audience asking me, they look and they say who directed the movie. I, I want to say me. something real quick, Pam, yeah. and to yeah. Rod. It, it's so wrong that what happened to you guys, because like what well, you just said, you're helping children, burnt children, you're helping families, you're helping your own kind, firemen, military, law enforcement. You're helping them out when they're down and out. Isn't that our job? Isn't that our job? Yeah. Yes. To help out others that cannot help themselves. Yeah. Well, it's a disgrace that that even happened to you guys. Yeah. It's a disgrace. Yeah. You're right. helping your own, and look what happens. And well, in the movie, Brad Stevens is a Vancouver firefighter. Apparently, I never heard of the guy. He's a cop. I'm, I'm he said he didn't want to. He, he didn't really want to help people so much as to catch bad guys. I like I like the helping part. Yeah. Always you know, I, I think one of the things that I pulled out of it was uh there was a line, you know, that he said and um he he talked about judging people for the company they get. Mm -hmm. And I've been in I've been in rooms before. I, you know, as far as like doing doing a twelve step program, I've I've kept some some company with some folks that maybe aren't the best. Uh, I'm a Catholic. The Pope's gone to prisons. Is he a bad person? No. And I think that's what I really pulled out of this is that this horrible line that came out of this was, you know, oh, it's the company you keep. No, 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 no. That's yeah. not like that's the, the fire department does one thing is we don't judge who you are because we can't right. see you in the smoke. That's so right. we don't care who it is. We come in and we help you. And that's there's the redemption part of this. And in, in, in what I saw in the movie is that even with 
that part of the documentary coming out and us having to talk about that reality and the end, Rod, you're still here. Smitty, you're still here. Jack, you're still here because the main mission for all, and Tiny, you as well, the main mission for everybody here is the betterment of this job and the brotherhood and the sisterhood. And that's what I got out of it. And that's where I was so thankful for Pam because he put this into focus for us. So, well also, said. everybody, we're, we're joining by uh, Melissa's cat. Here. I know. I'm sorry. So, <laughs> but oh, good. We know. got the cat. We got Jack's dog. I'm, it's all good. I'm so sorry. You know what I like about this group? You know what I like about this group is. I don't know, Jack, you got 40 years. I got 35. Tiny's a senior lieutenant. Smitty, you've been to the the, 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 the tough zone, battle zones and so forth. But the four of us, and Pan might not relate to it, but I think he might now. He's been in the halls. The four of us could jump on a rig tomorrow night. Uh, I'm going to be the chief. You guys have to fight for the rest of it. <laughs> <laughs> anyways, I got the eyes. We could jump on a rig tomorrow. Trust each other right to the freaking max and get sure. the job done and come back and have a nice steak and salad and it all would be Jake, man. And that's what the yeah. fire service is about. So yeah. I know there's a lot of people out there that that's are right. really thinking, you know, those Florian Knights guys in Vancouver, they're still, they're, they're good men. And they are good but, men. They yeah. are good men. Yeah, that was, they're, they're, they're good not. men. You're damn right they are. <laughs> there will be. Well, I think, and, and that's why, again, bringing, bringing in the, like, Tiny, again, with the Axemen, the big, why, why bring in another, another club into this, right, narrative? It's because I wanted to show how it can be done, you know, that longevity is possible, you know, and the Axemen have been doing this since when, Tiny? Like, you know, you guys have been doing this in, in multiple cities. Like, it's that, you guys were the beacon of hope to me because I thought, it can be done and sustained over decades, you know, when the support is there from the community and, uh, you know, Tiny, I, I just think, man, like you guys were, were that for me, you know, you guys were the beacon of hope for me right. that the Florian's Knights can do it. Right. And I think, um, uh, you know, the Florian Knights is just like every other chapter. They started mm -hmm. and then they went on. It's just unfortunate that the city of Vancouver put those guys through that. It wasn't the guys yeah. of Vancouver. Uh, it wasn't their association with anybody. That was the ill compassion of the administration mm -hmm. in Vancouver, not recognizing what the, how beneficial this was to those guys. Uh, we've grown. We've been. We, we. I can't remember how many states, but we got 33 countries. I mean, 33 chapters across the United States. We got two or three chapters in New York, four in Ohio, five in Michigan. You know, Texas, South Carolina, you name it. And we build on that. And, and I won't say this, um, we're unique. The Florian Knights and anybody else have the same goal in mind, right? Which is helping their fellow brethren out. And I think that is what the uh, Vancouver administration should have focused on. Are these guys doing anything illegal? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. So what is the issue? Right. And as Rob said here today with the Florian Knights sign behind him, right? It's unfortunate that they went through that. But it wasn't because of the members in that chapter. It wasn't because of the members in that club, period. No matter where they at, New York, uh, Vancouver, whatever. That was the, the, the people that are in charge, oftentimes, 
don't really understand what we're doing. Everybody wants to put you in a box. Sometimes you can't live in a box. That's how motorcycles started in the first place. Guys came back from World War II, mm -hmm. and they couldn't find what they needed to help them cope. So they started motorcycle club, camaraderie, brotherhood, and that's what it's about. And so we've just carried on that tradition, just as the Florian Knights are carrying on that tradition. Unfortunately, in Vancouver, somebody wanted to stop the tradition. And I don't know in a very judgmental way. Right. I don't know because of Marlon Brando, they didn't like his character in the movie, right? I don't know what it was. Canada is one of those weird places where they have these strange That's it. Go ahead. Who shot the dog? But so let me let me just No, I wanted to say about Tiny, when I saw your club, I thought, damn, that's nice. You could see it, man. You could just see it. it's a great club. And Smitty, right now, uh, what is it? Uh, the Montreal Canadiens hockey team, they won about 16 zillion Stanley Cups in the past, but they have a, from these failing hands, we pass the torch for you to carry on. You guys are carrying the torch, baby. You're the Florian Knights. He and, knows uh, I, I, I just wish, man, I could be a part of it. It's just, I'm sort of stoked about you guys carrying on and Jack's joined on and you got some other chapters happening. That's wonderful. That's that's just, just so good. So have the tradition you know, with, with, go forward. That's what you you gotta move forward. There's no moving behind. That's right. Right. You know? We don't give up ground, we take ground. <laughs> like that. Yeah. Right. So for for you guys that you know Jack, Smitty, Tiny, Rod, like Pam comes into this, and one of the things that when Pam and I were communicating back and forth in email, he sent me the, uh, you know, a couple infographs here and stuff like that, you know, very professional done as the filmmaker that he is. But these guys came out and embedded, you know, in, into actually capturing footage. I think, Pam, there was something I saw where you got hit with a burning branch or something like that as well. You took a little, took a little heat. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to look, I mean... You want oh, me to talk man. about what happened to me in front of all these guys? They're just going to make fun of me, man. That's, we want to know. Much. We want to know. Yeah. It's, it's like, did I get a little? Yeah. Did I get a little bit hot? You know, Rod's going to razz me in about forty minutes here. <laughs> and I'm okay That's with that. Ten minutes like, on the job. And saw the enemy. <laughs> right. The whites of their eyes. No, but like, honestly, though, like you, you gained, you gained the trust of everybody here to come into the fold, right? Like. This is where fire department's very open and like, as far as what we do, but like when it comes behind the curtain, like you had to, you and your crew had to prove what you were there for to do was, was right and correct and just because we don't just open up the doors. Like I can't knock on the door, or at least I don't think anyway of a motorcycle club and just say, Hey, I'm not a member. Can I come in and see what's going on and poke around? Like, that's not how that stuff works, but you, in what you were doing, you were able to do this. Like for 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 the guys that were involved in the film, like how is it getting Pan to understand this culture and to see this brotherhood and to figure out what he was doing? Because I would be suspicious as I'll get out. I'd be like, "What's this guy doing with a camera in my firehouse? Is he going to try to make us look bad? Like, is this some kind of you know? Because I like I think that's what emergency service has done, right? I don't want to trust anybody. That's well, in, in Toronto, I can tell you when Pam was in his film crew were following with us, and we were the, we, we, like a, we have a high call volume, 
and his guys kept getting off the truck and i i had to tell the uh, medics and the other people that run the other part of the uh, medical calls that no they're not filming you and he wouldn't film a patient they're filming me and my crew i would mm -hmm. have to tell them all the time because they're not used to it they don't want right. to see it and we have a and it's canada for us it's very like it's all very private no matter who is on the ground they try to take care of that and pam was aware of that but the reality was as soon as everybody the emergency services saw that there was a film crew around it was it was a, a tense moment many times you know and uh, he got to see it and he had a lot of fun doing it i think <laughs> except for the ones that were you know you know, 20 30 calls into the day it got a little bit tiresome for the guys coming down all the time yeah the way it was. Yeah, well, well, I just, uh, let's, I mean, I full disclosure, I mean, it was months and months and months and months of earning, earning everybody's trust. Mm -hmm. It probably, that, that journey went all the way to the, to the moment I finished the movie. You know, I think, Tiny, I think you watched the trailer, man, and it, trust me, you weren't the only one who gave me a text, like, oh, okay, what, what is this really going to be? You know what yeah. I mean? You know, I Absolutely. think when, you know, and because this, I knew that we were in our uncharted territory, so to speak. And, and Smitty with you guys, it was an ongoing conversation for months, you know, about trust earning and, and what's in and what's out and why, why am I doing this and why am I doing that? And, and that was a dance we did for three and a half years. It wasn't like we signed the dotted line and everybody's kumbaya from day one. It was a constant give and take. And, and by the end of it, and when we saw an end product, uh, I think the guys on this call were happy with it, but it was a dance for, I mean, the, the, the HR department of the fire department of New York didn't stop calling me once I told them for the first time that I was going to be in their firehouse. We had calls until the very minute the movie was finished. You know? I can't and, believe that. That's yeah. Of New York. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, but, but even in, De in, in Detroit, it, it, I, I know like tiny, I mean, you can speak to this man. I mean, we, there's a lot of people running around filming you guys doing calls, right? Especially, you know, Devil's Night and all the, the fire volume with the structure fires. There's a lot of cameras. And I think a lot of people thought we were just another crew of mm -hmm. what I like to call, you know, trauma porn seekers, right? They just want right. to, you know, let's just try to get the biggest, baddest fire and throw it on our YouTube page and go home. We were roped in with that, with that group of people until mm -hmm. people saw the movie eventually. It took that long. You know, is, is that, am I accurate there, Tiny? You know, it kind yeah. of... That's a very accurate and and as you remember I, I i text you several times like hey bro you know i, I don't know you know I'm, I'm looking at this trailer like i don't know what we're doing here and, and, and he was like hey listen i'm telling you it's it's, it's it's gonna be okay and so i was i was skeptical you know um but he reassured me no it's, it's this is a good project because honestly when you came and filmed it was like two years later when I heard from you. It was like, oh, yeah, the movie coming. I'm like, wait a minute, what movie? Like, wait a minute. <laughs> New phone, who dis? Right. And so when I saw the trailer, I was like, I was scratching my head like, oh, shit, I'm about to get in trouble over here. I don't know what's going on. But he reassured me that everything was good. And, and of course, Mike Nevin uh, was, was heavily involved at the time as well. So um, I, I, I was happy for the opportunity. I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, to be able to, uh, in some small way, contribute to uh, a very large problem. And uh, if it helps people 
especially in the fire service, but if it help people in general, I'm, I'm thankful for the opportunity to be a part of these gentlemen and um, well, seven, make well, some good for um, our brethren. Right. You know, when Pan, Pan and I obviously geographically were linked, right? Uh, a big difference, mm -hmm. right? He would, uh, he would call me and he'd say, yeah, I'm going to go meet uh, so-and-so at the public relations. <laughs> and I'm retired now, but I used to say, yeah, good luck with that kid. <laughs> <You know? laughs> There's not a chance in hell you're doing what you think you're going to do. But I will say this to the man, and I've come to know him and love him. Uh, what he finished, this finished product, this is the second commercial. It, it, it came out brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. And nobody was put in an awkward position. The filming, the integrity of the filming, and the respect for confidentiality where it was needed, and then capturing the heat of the moment, like in Detroit, getting the guy coming down the ladder, he's mm -hmm. on fire, for God's sake. It was done with so much class, and I was surprised. How a guy 29 could be that that cool and classy and make something like this. It was it was beautiful. I think and again, I just think it's a, a riveting, beautiful document. Way to go. Well man. that's a, that that's how Smitty always describes me, cool and classy, man. He's the first <laughs> He's always he's always telling his friends, you know. You know, but, if Smitty did something wrong, I wouldn't tell him because I saw him hit that heavy bag and I <laughs> near him. Yeah. Seriously. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Don't worry, man. That's why, why do you think I'm here? I'm in the coldest part of Canada because I know you will come find me. But, but it's uh, that was that again. That was the for me just the nerve wracking is first off I knew that we were doing something that I, I don't know really hadn't been done in for a century. You know, guys opening up about the things that were opened up in this movie, and yet we were going to present this all together to the world all at one time going to receive the text messages from all of you all at once uh and and that was half years we we were uh -oh. just working on the relationship you know so yeah it's we lost you pan yeah something happened there can you hear us pan you got me now yep yes yeah. Well, you guys go ahead. Anyway, I mean, you, you go ahead, Rob. Sorry. No, it's it's all right, man. I so I I think that and that was like I said to you know that when I when I reached out to Pan, you know, Jeremy sent me the email on this and said, hey, like this mental health stuff is kind of up your alley because I'm I'm with a critical incident stress debriefing team, and I'm very much in tune because I've buried too many of my brothers, yeah, uh, to to deal with this. And I you know I, I have a a training business outside of here that deals with firearms. And I talk with my students in the class about my own path down suicide. And because like, and I mean it to every student I have, they have my number. And if anything ever happens, they can call me. No. I don't care what time it is because I've, I've gone to the edge and I've seen it and all, but for the grace of God, I'm still here. So like when this, this film came out, I was skeptical at first, just because I said, Oh, is this going to be a buff thing? How's this going to be, you know, and within the first couple of minutes, like I said, you know, Jack's Jack going through what his day is like in Toronto, Rod doing the map, you know, tiny, one of your members hit it out of the park when he talked about, there's this list of checklist of things to do, where to put your gear when you leave this job, but there's no, there's no That's checklist. Great, to how to, that was a great moment too. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, I wrote that down too to talk about. It. I was like, yeah. well, he hit that right on the head. Yep. You know, well, and, and where, like, do you, where do you go when you retire and you hand in what? Hand in all right. that experience? You can't. It, it just, it's, there's nothing, there's no vehicle for that. And that's tiny, how, when you, tiny, when you referred to the guys coming back from the war, when I retired, you know, one day you're in the service and your ball's deep in it. You'd be, you could be at a five alarm fire and the next day, the guys all shake your hand. They've had a big dinner for you, and you walk out. And uh, it, to just show you how, how it, it impacts you, I sat down at the table, and nobody brought me my coffee. <laughs> that ends. There's no right. more. There's no more. You're the chief, and here's your chair, and there's your coffee. And that ends. Make your own coffee. Absolutely. It, it just, it's such a profound change in your life. And... Uh, you know, we tend to kind of forget about those guys. A lot of them are hurt. But I, I would like to think we don't. Like, we have a retirees breakfast every month. Uh, we just had a retirees luncheon. Over 100 retirees showed up. We we can't forget. One, they're friends of ours. We right. still talk to them and deal with them on a day off. I was at the cigar bar last night with three retirees. We have to keep that connection. We have to. Um, unfortunately, some guys do lose it. Um, they move away, all sorts of things. But one of the things that happens in Detroit, I'm sure it happens everywhere else, once you get hired by the city of Detroit, when you walk in the firehouse, there's a little section on the wall, right, of death notices. Once yep. you become a member of the Detroit Fire Department, you will get one of those slips of paper, Right. You will get one of those slips of paper. Somebody will look at that paper when it comes out and be like, oh, wow, I remember him. Right? Everybody who signed on the dotted line gets a slip of paper, no matter where you are, active or retired, you yeah. will get a slip of paper. And that's one of the ways we memorialize um, the guys that we work with. Um, I didn't hear you. I mean, I'm sorry, Jack, I didn't hear you. No, it's just I, I feel for the way you've said that and the way the way that that is the truth. And it still is the truth. I used to go into the station and we would see uh, in our in Toronto, our reality was the guy retired uh, September 30th. And by November 30th, we also got the funeral notice, which was horrible. Absolutely. It was mm -hmm. it was tragic and horrible. Yeah. But because we wanted so, to remember the first notice and didn't see the, you know, didn't even make notice of the first notice. Then we got the second notice. And then, and it's tragic. It's horrible. I want to restate something here. I, I, I have to interject because if any of the brothers in Vancouver are watching this, they're going to chop me off at the knees. We have a retired firefighters association. We have a retired firefighters dinner every year attended by over 300 men. Uh, we have a firefighters uh, association and there is tracking, there's sick notices put out. It's run just wonderfully. So I, I need to restate what I was saying. And I think what I was trying to communicate is, we used to, we, when, you're, when you're employed and when you're a brother and you're at the station, there's a chance to oversee it a bit. But some of the boys, like Tiny was saying, they they get lost and even though that we have these associations and dinners they 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 get lost and i guess there's not a whole lot you can do about that but uh yeah i just want to make sure you guys do that. you know rod it's, it's funny too and tiny to go up with your point like some of the guys move away 
I, I was at Joey D, uh, the Joey D Memorial Training Event um, down in Long Island. And the Joey D Foundation, a great organization, um, trying to provide bailout systems and, and personal escape systems for firefighters throughout the country. I met a firefighter whose dad was retired and he lives down the street with, from me. And the guy looked at me like it was nuts when I gave him my contact information. I said, hey, if dad needs something, have him call me. Like, and he was like, oh, he doesn't, you know, I was like, no, no, no. Like, I want you to know, like, local 2623 is right down the road. And, like, Arlington's right up the street. The city of Poughkeepsie is here. LaGrange is here. Like, your dad's not alone here. So if you ever need us to show up, like, you reach out and this union and, and this brotherhood is here for you. And, like, for the guys that are retired and, you know, like, Tiny, you were, you were talking about some of the guys that, that go away, like, check in. I don't want to say, like, check in with your local, but check in with your local. They want to hear from you. The young guys want to hear from you. Like you're not going to burden them. You know? That's a great message. So, all right. So we've been going for about an hour and twenty minutes. Uh, believe it or not. Um, like, I, I don't want to say we start wrapping up here, but like, the last question that I really have for everybody, and I start with Jack, just because he's in the top right of my screen here. When it comes to this film, what are you most proud of? Most part of the fact that uh, there were all these people in other places all over North America that felt the same way I did. And and the Florian's Knights, Matt Sabini and the guys from New York brought up the forefront. Uh, that It had already been going on in, in Vancouver in my own country, and I didn't realize what it was. And, and they had a common goal in mind. It was, it was brilliant. And then we're going to raise money and do everything right for charities all the time. And we're going to try to help each other out every once in a while because we are, we knew that there was something else going on and we found bike riding was helping us all. So I'm very proud of the fact that that's been brought to the forefront and that Dr. Vaughn has made it, uh, you know, medically announced uh, so that it's true. So uh, that's what I'm proud about. So yeah. it's all good. Smitty, what about you? I'm going to jump on what Jack said. I'm all about brotherhood, being together, and from being in a different country and being in the States and being in Detroit, we're all coming together doing the same thing and no problems and everybody's getting along great and we have a meaning. It's, it's wonderful. You know, it's wonderful. And I want to go back and talk to the guys, and I would like to say to Pan, we need to do season two, man. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not it's got to have a follow up. Yeah. I'm not the guy that says yes. 100. I'm going to suggest it because this is helping people. This is say this is going to save lives, you know. And if you save one, it's worth it. I have no doubt you've already saved a life with this movie, I, and and I say that coming from the the place of the podcast and just a short time that we've done it and the impact that we've had, I, I can, I can say with full certainty that everybody that was in this film and everybody that's here on the screen impacted somebody and you guys have already saved a life. Um, Tiny, what are you most proud of with this? Oh, you know, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm, I'm proud that somebody brought this closeted secret to the forefront. Okay, man. Right? Mm -hmm. and, and that's the simplest way I can put it. Uh, OG, man, some powerful <laughs> words in the movie, right? And Sorry. 
Yeah. And so the impact that it has to have created or has across the country for all the people who obviously saw the movie and can look at the movie and be like, damn, I, I can identify. That is the most part I'm proud of is the fact that Pan was able to take what was like hid away and bring it to the forefront. Pan, what about you? What are you most proud of with this movie? I mean, you get the interesting part that you're the director and, you know, like even though you filmed us, you're you're not a firefighter, but you really got the understanding of what we do. So what what's your takeaway from this? What are you most proud of with this film? Yeah, well, I, I think it's the, it's the simpler, you know, it's a really profound but simple statement in that I've had dozens upon dozens of first responders who have sat in the theater, looked over to their wife or to their husband and said, that's what I've been trying to talk to you about. That's what I wish I could have said for mm -hmm. 30 years. And when I, when I realized that this film built that bridge of communication for people and their families, that's it. That's, that's all I needed to know. I just thought that if that happened a dozen times or one time or whoever, and we got all these test, you know, these testimonials that have come through um, our Facebook page and on Instagram and folks who are opening up about the, their story. And I just want to mention that um, we then opened up kind of a bit of a, a, an email line, you know, firefighters at floringsnightsmovie.com where folks are able to now reach out directly to the firefighters in the film, because I didn't expect the wave of communication that was going to come through our channels after folks had seen the movie and responded to it. And, and the biggest one for me was, you know, someone with 30 years of experience in this service to be like, I've, I've been wanting to say that for three decades and, and your movie said it for me, you know, for my kids and for my wife or for my husband, for my uncle or aunt, whoever it is that, that to me is just, man, it's why you, why I'm in this business is to try to build that bridge of communication and, and light up the darkness a little bit. So that, that to me has yeah. just been really rewarding. Thanks, Pam. Rod, we saved the best for last because you got to see yeah. me and you got the time and grade. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. now we all sit and listen. Yeah, man, you probably don't say that in front of these guys. Man. <laughs> uh, Nothing but respect, brother. Podium. And, and back at you. He is wearing the Oscar hat, you know. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Yeah, I was, I was joking with Pan the other day. If we're on the stage, I'm going to say, hi, guys. Hi, Mom. Hi, Dad. You know, we get the Academy. But anyways, it's twofold for me. I'm, I'm proud of the men. And it was mostly men, men and women. There was uh, Jack Skell at that call down at the uh, basketball celebration. There was a female crew member there. I was, I was proud of... Uh, being associated with the people in this movie professionally and in the fraternity and uh, how they laid it all out on the line and uh, told their stories and told it like it is. It's, uh, it, was, it was incredible. The other thing I'm proud of, uh, apart from the, the fraternal brotherhood aspects of it, is uh, I've had the the honor in a way to, to read some of the communications that have come back to Pan and um, the heartfelt messages from people all across North America about this movie and its impact. And I can say this pretty safely. I think Pan would back me up on it. 
is that the movie's already saved lives. It's already saved lives. And it has the potential to save mm-hmm. hundreds, if not more lives. And the bottom line, the bottom line, if the movie saved one life, it was a, it was an accomplishment. But the idea that we're going to be talking about potentially saving thousands, um, man, I to be part of that, uh, I'm I'm so proud, and, and I'm just proud of what we did. Really am. Thank you, Rod. You're here. Uh, Pan, where where can everybody listening find the movie if they haven't if they haven't found the movie yet? You're pretty much on almost yeah. every demand streaming service: YouTube, Google, uh, Amazon. Um, Canada's got a couple extra options that we don't have down here in America. You're, you're telling me that before. Well, yeah, it's the other way around. Is that you know in in the United States, um, you know it's available on Amazon Prime, Apple TV, YouTube, Google Play, Vudu, you know all the on-demand thing. It's widely available in the United States. Um, in Canada, uh, you know your best bet is on Apple TV uh, or or through YouTube or Google Play. Um, it's not available on Amazon in Canada, but again, you've got. Um, uh, you know, six, seven options uh, there. If, if people go to our Facebook and Instagram, you can kind of see where it's available on demand. Uh, and uh, that's the exciting part right now is it is, um, we did a 45 city theatrical run and we did it during COVID and it was crazy and it was it was beautiful all at the same time. But now it's, it's available for, for everybody across North America uh, on demand at home. And uh, I look forward to everybody, you know, every department across this continent having the chance to see it. Yeah, amen. If uh, if if anybody wants to get a hold of everybody, like, is there uh, like you said, there's a there's one centralized place to kind of start contacting people from from the film. Yeah, I, I think it's the the coolest thing is that we we've opened up a, a specific address. It's it's firefighters at floriansnightsmovie.com, and it's it's people's chance to address. Uh, either the group or individual members who have uh, participated in the film. Uh, I was fielding all these requests, and, and and I remember, Rod, we talked about it. It's not for me to field those requests. That's not what this is about. It's about peer support. It's about giving the public access to the firefighters to ask the questions that they uh, you know, might have never had the chance to ask because it, it was a closed door for so many years. So, you know, firefighters at floriansnightsmovie.com, I'd love to see that inbox really populated over the next you know six months because i think there's a lot of value there awesome well guys i i want to thank all of you for being on with us tonight with national fire radio and sharing this story with us i like i said we got to do a lot of cool things with this podcast and this platform but this is probably for me like i even wore my extra nerd glasses tonight because i was nerding out so much about all this you're missing the Um, tape yeah. So <laughs> you're right. I am missing the tape. Um, hang out for a couple minutes once the live streams down, and uh, you know, like we'll we'll talk a little, little bit. But everybody, on behalf of National, oh, Smitty, what do you got? I'd like to put out some um, some dates we have for the club. Oh, yeah, yeah. If that's all right with you. No, no, one hundred percent. Yeah. So February, we're doing a clothing drive here. So that, that's part of what we do. We're doing it in February, obviously cold weather. So we're doing a clothing drive. For Florian Knights, holding drive in February, and uh, to start off the riding season, since I'm retired now, I started my own business called RWB Training Solutions. I do firearms situational awareness, first aid, and fire tactical training. Um, 
I'm going to donate money to Florian Knights and I'm going to do a tourniquet class for motorcycle clubs. That's going to, that's going to be my big push this year for tourniquets. Cause when we were out riding, I always had tourniquets with me. I was like the first aid guy and um, I'm adamant about it. It saves lives. So I'm going to do a class for motorcycle clubs around our area and give tourniquet classes to them and get more tourniquets out there on the street. Um, personally known a couple of guys that have gone down that should have had a tourniquet put on them. And, um, yeah. And where's the, 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 so, the, the clothing drive? Where is that happening at? That's going to happen in Rockland County and Rockland uh, County will okay. be determined in, uh, the place. And August 20, August 7th is the, the rumble for Ronald, the Ronald McDonald house charity. We do. If, it, if anybody can't make it, you always go online for Ronald McDonald House because we're a 501c organization. And then this year we're going to do a 9-11 run. We have two members in the club that's fathers were um, passed away. Ronald Kiernan, Lieutenant Squad 288, and John Sullivan, lot of 34, 9-11 cancer. Mm-hmm. So we're going to ride for those two brothers and the rest of them. But those two members' dads were lost on 9-11. Smitty, so, did you just say John Sullivan? John Sullivan, 11-34, yes. I got a story, man. You're not going to believe this. Yeah. Uh, I, When I was president, I got sent a, a box. And I received it. The, the, my executive assistant brought it in. And then I opened it up. And I went, oh. And it was a Vancouver firefighter's T-shirt. And it was absolutely ripped beyond belief. And the letter had been sent to me, dear President McDonald, because of the fraternal association and the longstanding friendships that have come from Vancouver and New York through our travels in the World Police Fire Games and so forth, we've exchanged many T-shirts and we believe that this T-shirt was on a member of our department when they responded to 911. Jesus Christ. And I was, the dust was still in there, the smell, I was, I broke down over the box. Wow. And the person that sent that t-shirt was John Sullivan. Wow. What's that? Have to talk. He, he, his, his what are the odds? What are the odds? Our, our VP, so we'll, we'll definitely yeah. have to get in touch with him and, and talk about that. Unbelievable. That is, uh, wow, that uh, is incredible. I just wanted to put that out there for everybody that's listening. That that it that is some of the yeah. events we are doing this year, and uh, along with the rest of the events that you're doing in Detroit, Tiny, you know, absolutely we're doing good stuff. We're doing good stuff, and thank you. I appreciate it. Likewise, likewise, brother. Likewise, we all in it for the same thing. But uh, anybody can go to our website, actionmc.org, and check out our events list. Our um, Annual Hot in Hell Ride, which is our biggest charity event, uh, brings in all our chapters from across the country. Uh, and that's the second weekend in July. Um, but yeah, please, by all means, check our uh, page, askmenmc.org, and check on all the uh, activities we have coming up this year. All right. Well, guys, thank you so much for being here with us tonight. I appreciate it. We're going to end the stream, but for everybody uh, for tuning in, thank you so much on behalf of National Fire Radio. This is Rob, our field correspondent, Melissa, and the cast and crew of Florian's Night. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, and uh, Merry Christmas to everyone. Yes, Merry Christmas. Hang out for a minute, guys, after the... uh,
after the uh, outro plays, and we'll, uh, we'll we'll chat real quick before we end it up for us. Look, at it. I run into burning buildings for a living. You know, it does affect us. PTSD exists, but where do we vet all that out at? It's wind therapy. 